students. Welcome back to On Dante's Paradiso, Sphere of Saturn, Canvas 21 and 22. But as promised, we're going to go backwards very quickly just to do a little bit of review. We recently had a quiz where we talked about Dante's Jupiter, Cantos 18 to 20. I just want to quickly review the five characters in the eyebrow of the eagle and the pupil. Recall that it was King David who was the pupil of the eye of the eagle of just rulers in the sphere of Jupiter. Know that that was King David. Know also that King David was very much an imperfect man, of course, having connived to have the husband of a woman named Bathsheba uh, killed so that he could himself take her into his harem. Supposedly that turned the will of God away from him. And if you think in terms of just rulers, that probably means that he acted out of line and that even who is subject to the rules and laws. What rank of man? Even kings, even kings. And so we had King Hezekiah too, who was supposedly so just that he got 15 years added to his life, symbolically understood. You might understand that the ju more justly you act, or the fairer you act, the longer you what? Sounds right to me. Emperor Constantine made some pretty big mistakes himself, according to Dante. He had that donation of Constantine in 325, where he gave wealth and power to the church which, according to Dante, has led to the church becoming utterly corrupt and a very terrible thing, which is pretty sad if you think about it. In the Middle Ages, the church was considered sort of the spiritual bastion of beauty and truth on the earth. And if the one place on earth that's supposed to be an image of somewhere perfect, like heaven, has become corrupt, where are the beautiful, true things on earth? Well, they're just not there. And so Dante seems to be thinking that, well, we got to clean up our act and make heaven on earth again, though apparently it doesn't really last. We talked about Norman, Norman William II of Hotville. Really, we talked about him in contrast to Charles and Frederick, Charles II of Anjou, Frederick II of Sicily, very, very poor representatives of Norman, uh, Norman William II. In fact, if you look at American politics, generally, um, it happens that there will be a conservative president and then a liberal president and then a conservative president. Sometimes you get reduplication, but not that often. And generally it is the case that the party that lost in the most recent election sort of feels the way that Dante feels about Frederick and Charles. So you say that the former king, president rather in our case, was the great one that we all love. The current one is the terrible, terrible Charles or Frederick. In any case, we saw Rippius too. Interestingly enough about him, he was not a king, he was not a ruler, he was just a friend of Vir not Virgil's, Aeneas's that we see in book two of the Aeneid. One thing I wanted to mention about them, Trajan and Rippius, and you know this from the most recent quiz, were both pagans, and one is a pagan fictional character. Trajan supposedly was resurrected from the dead by Pope Gregory in order to be pardoned of his sins so that he could die again as a what? As a Christian, so that he could go to where? heaven and that is actually what Dante seems to have believed happened or at least what he uh, why he puts Trajan in heaven I think that's a very funny and interesting story in any case Riffius and this was uh, a quote that a lot of us missed the reason he made it up to heaven was not because of some uh, zombie par pardoning like Trajan but the other by that grace which mounts up from so deep a spring that no eye ever pierced so far as to catch sight of the first wave put all his love below upon justice so that from grace to grace God opened up his eyes to our future redemption. I literally put this right in front of you all and a lot of people still didn't get this answer correct. And so 
Riffius, like Cato, dies for justice. And that is why he makes it into heaven. But, of course, that leaves open the question, why not Virgil? Why didn't Virgil make it up? And we'll have to think about that in our next seminar, which we still have. All right. Also, supposedly, Riffius had the three holy ladies. Recall that the three holy ladies were the next to, I think, the left. It was either the left or the right um, circle. Not circle, though. Wheel of the chariot in terrestrial paradise. They represent the three holy virtues, which are faith, hope, and love. All right, and then there's a conclusion to Jupiter, which talks about predestination and the fact that even the angels or souls in heaven cannot see who is elect, who will make it to heaven, apparently suggesting that humans have to make their own choices. And even if the future is determined in a way that the divine can see, it is still undetermined for humans, suggesting that even if there is a fixed endpoint, you get there by making your own choices. And so Dante seems to be sort of balancing between the idea of predestination and free will. Very important to those of you who are going to be writing about this. In fact, if you're writing about this, you should definitely write down where this quote exists, which I don't even know if I give you the location. It's right at the end of 20. Ah, yes, very close to 148. Uh, you'll have to find it for yourself, though. So now we're going to have another transition. And again, our hypothesis is always that when Dante learns something new, he understands the world better, perceives in a clearer way. Beatrice, his mind, or that which represents reality to him, becomes more beautiful because the world around him becomes more beautiful by understanding it. So, 21, 1 to 12, and she did not smile. But if I smiled, she began, you would become as was simile when she turned to ashes. Funny thing that she should say. Remember that pregnant simile requested to see Zeus in the glory of his true form. She was pregnant by Zeus, which means Zeus was cheating on Hera. Again, this was a trick of Hera's to kill the illegitimate son-to-be. Very interesting. Always, always we see these, these young godmen, these young heroes, Moses, Jesus, Heracles, having some king want to kill them at the beginning of their life. Very common epic motif, mythological motif. And so when Simile asks, Zeus to see him in his true form. He was too much for her, being himself a god, her being, say, a woman. She exploded. And that's how Dionysus was grabbed up by Zeus, put in his thigh, and sewed up, and then born from Zeus. So a man who would have been a man because he was born from a god became a god. Make sure you're writing this stuff down and not sleeping over here. Good. All right, hand off head. All right. So Zeus zipped the fetus into his thigh. Dionysus was born to him, the god of the vine, in death and rebirth. Very interesting, very similar, of course, to Jesus, who, of course, is a god of the vine, because he makes water into wine, also of death and rebirth, because of the idea of Easter. He died and is reborn. These ideas have been around for a long time. That's part of why we teach you this, so that you have a sophisticated understanding of what you think you know. Enter Saturn. We have risen up to the seventh splendor, which under the breast of the blazing lion, who's the blazing lion in the sky? Do any of you know the name of that constellation? It is Leo, it is Leo, very good. Are any of you Leos? August 1st, very good, very good. My father is a Leo, I don't mean that metaphorically, I mean my actual father, which under the breast of the blazing lion now sends its beams down mixed with its virtue. What do you imagine that the virtue is of a lion? cardinal virtue. It's courage. 
horse, courage. To have the heart of a lion, or to be like Richard the Lionhearted, means to be courageous. The color of gold with refulgent rays, that means sparkling. I saw a ladder which was erected aloft. So far, my sight could not follow it. Again, that motif of ineffability. Just as we had the idea that the justice of the divine was like seeing the shallows of a water, but not being able to see all the way to the deep. You see some, but not all. We see again that the thought of the divine is something that we can see to some extent, but we can't see the full extent of. We're again seeing that human perception, human mentality is limited, limited, limited. Do we like to hear that sort of thing? We don't like to hear that sort of thing one bit. That seems to be why we have science. Do we accept our limitations, or do we always try to expand them? That seems to be precisely what the human sort of mode of being is. Whether that is a Luciferian tendency and will lead to our ends through production of more and powerful and uh, diabolical weapons, like, of course, nuclear and chemical weapons, which we have quite the store of, um, not only in our country but in the world, or whether that is a divine sort of thing to look at, um, or rather that, whether that is a divine tendency that leads us closer to understanding our nature, perhaps depends on who you are as an individual, perhaps depends on your society. Um, very interesting question for India and Pakistan right now. Perhaps you know that they have recently launched military airstrikes against each other. Very scary time for them, perhaps for us as well. We do live in a global community. I saw two coming down the steps, so many splendors. I thought all the stars would shine in heaven were pouring down there. I don't know if you've ever seen a meteor shower, but it is a beautiful thing, and that is what the image is here, of all the most splendorous souls in heaven coming down and going up a ladder. Hmm. So, let's talk Sabbath. This is sphere 7 of 10 of heaven. It will be the last sphere that has a divine shape. I'm not sure why everybody's not writing. The occupants are the so-called contemplatives. The liberal art is, of course, since we are now amongst the top stars, astronomy. And if you think about astronomy and how that relates to the liberal art of, G of Jupiter geometry, astronomy is clearly the same and opposite of geometry. If geometry is the art by which we measure the Earth, astronomy is the art by which we measure the what? The stars. Very good, very good, very good. Aster in Greek means star. Uh, stella in Latin, that's why we use stellar for space as well as astronomical or you are for out of this world. Nomos means law or rule. So the law of the stars. Very interesting. The theme here is discovering wisdom or information. Climbing the so-called ladder. And if you think about that, that is sort of what you do with your sense perception. You perceive something out in the world and then you reflect on it in your head. It's like you take something into yourself and you bring it up to your capacity for thought, you break it apart by means of abstraction, and then you understand its constituent pieces. We talked about that a bit earlier, I believe, back in the sphere of the moon, when we were talking about how sense perception leads to intellection based on Aristotelian logic. Hmm. In any case, the shape of Saturn is a golden ladder, up and down which souls are going. This is a very, very famous image in the history of philosophy and theology. In fact, from two different distinct traditions. Plato, of course, talks about a golden ladder. I believe it was in his symposium 
up which all who think go, and down which none ever stays after having once gone up there. It's as if once you get a taste for truth, you never lose it. Hmm, very interesting. Much better to have some truth than to have some lotus. There's also, of course, the very famous image of Jacob. There was this guy named Jacob in the Old Testament, very similar to Odysseus. Tricky guy, tricky guy, though himself got tricked. We'll call Rachel and Leah. He did not have a perfect life, that guy. Um, he supposedly did some very interesting things. He wrestled with an angel, sometimes defined as God, and then got a limp based on it because who gets off after rape? Who gets off easy after wrestling with an angel or wrestling with a really difficult opponent? Anybody? Nobody. No. But also he had a very famous dream where he saw a ladder leading up from earth to heaven, almost as if he was suggesting what Aristotle suggested, that when you look at the things around you, if you reflect upon them, you might see the eternal laws of the universe in them. And that does seem to be the basic assumption of science. Like we have microscopes, we have telescopes, we're always looking at the world around us, and then we're producing equations to understand them, right? It's like, yeah, interesting, interesting. So what's the metaphor of this sphere? Contemplatives gather and then disseminate information. And it seems to be, what do you do? You look at things around you, you study them, and then you come to understand what they mean, and then you express what they mean to other people, and then what do you do again? You do it all over. You do it all over, right? It's sort of like how you are at school. You go to school, you learn a whole bunch of things, then you have to write a test, or write an exam, or write an essay. And then, do you just end, or do you do it all over? Yeah. And that seems to be part of the idea of what Dante thinks a good life is. Why would you even want to stop if there are infinite things to learn? And if part of you being a human is you have an insatiable curiosity like Odysseus, always wanting to explore, always wanting to learn new things, when would you ever want to stop learning? Seems like life would get pretty what if you stopped learning? Boring, dull. And so perhaps if life is boring or dull, you should get to doing some learning. Otherwise, I don't know what's more interesting than that. Think about the idea of Indiana Jones. He's a very famous what? Any of you know who he is? He has a funny hat and a whip. He's an explorer, he's an explorer, yes. Even he says, in the most recent iteration of that uh, movie, Crystal Skull, which most people think is an atrocity, uh, that means a terrible movie, <laughs> about as bad as it can be, he says, you got to get out of the library every now and then, Steve, because, well, is all the information that exists in libraries? No, plenty of information in libraries, more information now than the whole wide what? So you got to use your own what's. Ah, your own eyes, your own minds, that's right. Okay, two main speakers here. Peter Damien, we'll see him, Canto 21, St. Benedict, Canto 22. Funny thing about St. Benedict, given our seminar questions last time around, he actually ran away from Rome, this reminds me quite a bit of the story of the Grinch, at least the Ron Howard version, because it was so corrupt and went to live in a cave. I just want you to think about that. How bad does the place have to be that you leave it in all its comforts and then go live in a cave? I know, seems like a real devolution. Um, but that is literally exactly what the Grinch does. People are mean to him and he's upset with the avarice or greed of the Who's and he goes to live in a cave and then hates them for it. And then, in a very sort of, I would say, divine way, comes down to Christmas, tries to steal Christmas. Can you steal the spirit of Christmas? Apparently not. And then he ends up joining them once he sees that he was wrongheaded and that perhaps the avarice that they embodied, he embodied himself. Hmm. 
Perhaps he had to have a moment of self-realization that that which he hated in others, he actually saw and hated in whom? Interesting. Very good, students. Very good. All right. So Beatrice becomes more lovely again, of course. Of course, uh, every time we transition to a new spirit of heaven, it's almost like every time you learn what happens to the world. It changes, right? And it's like if the world always seems the same and boring, again, I've said this before, you probably have to do what? Learn some new things. Because apparently your perception of the world is what the world is to you. Uh, and that's even literally true. You go down to Tijuana, you look at all the signs, you don't know Spanish, do they mean much to you? No, but you learn the Spanish language, do all of a sudden these signs have meaning and ring out clearer to you? Yes, it's very interesting, very interesting. I like thinking about language use and language learning for that specific reason. <coughs> Dante sees a ladder all in gold, a refulgent ladder, again gold indicating that it is divine, just like sort of a golden crown in a circle on a king's um, head, sort of suggesting the divine highway is the highway that connects or the ladder that connects humans to that which is eternal, that which is eternal, those ideas or thoughts which never end, sort of like the thoughts that we share, like the thoughts of justice as fairness. That's an idea that's been around for at least 3,000 years, possibly 25,000 years, depending on what you think of folktales, possibly even longer than we've had language. Um, you do see elements of fairness, as I've said, even in chimpanzee truths. It is as if fairness is a law of nature amongst social creatures, even creatures that cannot speak. And so a soul approaches, brightly, Peter Damien. And the soul is so bright that Dante cannot make out his features. And so it's like now we're actually talking to talking what's? Like lights, lights. Y'all ever looked at the sun or a light and had those blue squiggly things pop up in your eyes? Well, that's what's happening to Dante here. And in fact, he's going to go blind trying to stare into the light at one point. And Beatrice is going to be like, that was a pretty dumb thing for you to do. You wouldn't have even seen what you thought you were going to see had you seen it, which is a funny thing to say. In any case, the soul is so bright that Dante cannot make out his features. This means that Dante is not yet ready to discern by means of his intellect what this guy is about. He's not yet capable of fully understanding this. Ever had a math equation that your math teacher lays out on the board and they're like, it all makes sense. And you're like, uh, I have to take it on faith because I do not understand what you just wrote on the board. Has that happened to anybody before? Show of hands. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it makes sense, but does it make sense to you? So you've got to grow. You've got to grow. Right. And that's why you have to ask good questions too. You have to say, I didn't understand something. And your math teacher will say, which part that you didn't understand? You'll say all of it. And then they'll say, Okay, let's go back through it again. All right, Dante questions him, and he says, there's a weird sphere. It's silent here. All the other spheres I've been in, choirs of angels singing. I mean, I couldn't make it all out. In Mars, I heard a rise and conquer. I heard some beautiful stuff going on in Jupiter. But here, why is it so silent? Well, Peter Damien responds, you have mortal hearing as you have mortal sight which must mean that there is some sort of immortal song beyond the pitch or, or in, that is being played in some hypersonic way that Dante cannot hear, or that the song is so beautiful that like Beatrice or like simile seeing Zeus in all his glory, it would make <laughs> Dante's head explode. And he literally says that. So here is no singing, 2164 to 66. 
for the same reason that Beatrice has not smiled. That means, literally, Dante would explode because of the beauty of the song here. And that's very interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen something, maybe a baby, maybe a cute little puppy, or nibbly bibbly kitty, or a plush stuffed animal that was so cute that it was painful. Have you ever seen something like that? You're like, you're so cute. It's so cute it hurts. The idea seems to be that some things can be so beautiful that they cause you pain. In fact, I do think that that's true. Have you ever, say, heard a piece of music that was so beautiful that it brought tears to your eyes? Or seen a movie in which something so beautiful happened that you cried, even though it was a good thing? That does seem to be something weird that humans do. Apparently, very negative emotion causes us pain, but also very positive emotion. Uh, perhaps also connected is ever seen like an Olympic athlete win the gold and then be crying about it all? very interesting. It's just very overwhelming, seems to be the idea here. Good. So, the Spirit says that he chose to speak to Dante, which is interesting because Dante says, was it foreseen that you would come down here uh, to talk to me? And did you understand that you would come down to talk to me? And the idea seems to be, did you choose to come talk to me? Or did you have to come talk to me because that's the way of things in heaven? Damien answers this. He says, I chose to speak to you, I made a choice, and I did it to increase your happiness out of charity, because you don't make me any happier, because I get to hang out with whom all day, every day? God, right, the ineffable uh, fount of all goodness, and well, Dante's pretty cool to hang out with, I imagine, but doesn't really stand uh, up like a candle against the sun in that respect. Mm -hmm. In any case, Dante responds, but this is what seems hard to understand. You can imagine him furrowing his brow. Why it was you, of all your companions here, who alone was predestined to perform this office? So he says, why are you predestined to do this? Very clever question, sort of like how I just said it. Peter then explains that he sees the divine light in proportion to his own sight. It's like you see the world in proportion to your intelligence. It's as if the more capable of understanding ideas you are, the more you understand reality around you because at its base, it is made of ideas, which is a weird thing to think of, except for when you think about physics. Physics is made up of eternal laws like gravity. Do you see gravity or just the effects of gravity? Just the effects, like the whole idea about Isaac Newton, this supposedly never happened, is that what fell on his head and then poof, he understood uh, gravity. An apple, right, or Galileo. Uh, no, Archimedes, excuse me. Archimedes sits in a tub. And then, does anybody know what he famously says as all the water pours out over the edges? Eureka, I have found it. Which means he understood the concept of displacement. You can see physical things with your eyes, but they're supposed to lead you to the eternal laws of the universe. And insofar as you understand those, you can actually see reality as it is, which is why the ancient Greek prophets and poets were often portrayed as what? Blind. Think of Tiresias. Think of Homer. Blind prophets. And yet blind, they could still what? See. And see even better than those around them who had their eyes. Quite unlike old Polyphemus, the old Cyclops. In any case, this raises him above himself. But even though he can see so much, even the highest angel, even Lucifer, this makes a lot of sense given Lucifer's fault, could not explain 
the mystery of free choice in relation to predestination to Dante. That's pretty frustrating. Oh my goodness. Definitely a quote to keep if you're writing about free will and predestination. So what concept was it that we were told we couldn't fully understand in the last few cantos in 18 through 20? The sphere of justice, the divine version of what could we not fully understand? Like someone looking into the shallows of water but not being able to see the deeps or the depths? It was divine justice, right? Well, apparently, what else can't we fully understand? The relationship between what and what? Free will and predestination. Apparently, there is some connection, but it's a little bit beyond not only us, but even the angels, which, well, I guess, phew. If they don't understand, it's okay that we don't understand. That said, pretty frustrating having these limitations thrust upon us again. The thing you ask is so deep that it is cut off from all created, that means mortal, sight. Uh, that also means angelic sight, too. They are considered uh, created as well by the divine. So tell others not even to consider this question. The funny thing for a sort of teaching contemplative to say is like, well, you know, that's a pretty deep question. Nobody knows the answer. Cast it from your mind. Interesting, interesting. Perhaps we'll talk about it in seminar. Perhaps Peter Damien will manifest in front of us and say, talk about something else. That would be sort of funny. I'll have to get a cardboard cut out. In any case, let's move on. The mind, which is light here, on earth is smoke. Huh. Consider, therefore, how below it could achieve what it could not do when heaven takes it up. He says, we don't even get this problem. And we're illuminated up here. We can see things clearly down on earth. You see us through a glass darkly. You see us through smoke. And so if we can't understand it, who definitely can't understand this question? We can't. Humans. Dang. Well, Dante actually ends up giving up the question because of this. And then he settles for a much smaller question. He says, well, can you at least tell me who you were? Which, eh, as a teacher, that strikes me a bit like a, a, very, a very stupid thing to say. It's like, okay, well, if I have to give up on this or that, I might as well get something out of you. And so he says, who were you? And then, in a typical circumlocuitous way, Peter Damien says that he lived between this place and this place, and he was in that place. I was known as Peter Damien, in that place the earth, 21-121. He was lean with faith, he describes himself as. But again, a polemic against modern pastors, he says that they have grown fat with wealth. So again, the true believer, according to Dante, according to Damien here, is a person that can reside on faith alone, the so-called manna of the Hebrews in the desert. That when you have something towards which you are striving, that is the most excellent food you can have as a human, seeing as you like to explore your own capacities more than anything. But that these, these current pastors, rather than sacrificing for what they believe, well, they seem to be becoming wealthy based on what they believe, which seems to be an argument against whether they truly believe what it is they say at all. Hmm. And when they cloak their horses under them, there stand two beasts. That's a pretty nasty way of describing them, saying that when they ride on a horse, there's not a human and a horse, but two beasts. Two beasts, which is... I'd say a pretty good roast. Pretty good roast by Peter Damien there. 
The other souls, they seem to agree too. They roar in agreement. But what is it we know about the sound in Saturn? If we hear it, it might do what to our heads? Boom, exploded. But this isn't a song. It's just a roar, but it still knocks us flat. Nor could I understand it. The roar flattened me. Canto 22. Dante looks to Beatrice and she explains, if the song would kill you, it makes sense that the roar would make you faint. It's been a while since we've seen Dante faint. Remember the first time he ever did that? Do you remember who was talking to him when he fainted for the first time? Yes? It was in Canto 5 of the Inferno. He was talking to a very beautiful lady whose name is the female version of Freedom, Francesca. And he felt such great pity for her that he was flattened. Well, he's been flattened again here. Remember, he was flattened at the top of the Purgatorio. He's been he's been fainting quite a bit. He's been dealing with quite a bit since he's been um, dealing with the afterlife. Well, Peter Damien says, go talk to other people now. I've told you my name, and I've told you predestination can't be understood by humans. So the greatest and the most luminous soul then approaches Dante 22, 28 to 30. It reads Dante's mind. This is St. Benedict, the founder of the famous Benedictine monastery. I bet you can tell what he's going to say about his people after he has left them as founder. Have they become more pure or more corrupt, do you imagine? Corrupt. You're sort of seeing what happens, and the sociologists do seem to agree with this now. Institutions, they come to be. Their founders leave them. They start to pass away. Well, he fled from Rome, as I said earlier, due to its corruption, and started converting people on this place called Mount Cassino. He didn't really have anything to his name. He didn't have any money. He didn't even have a nice temple. He just had faith. People gathered around him. Very interesting. I can understand why he would be critical of those like Peter Damien, who grow fat based on their position within institutions that they did not create. Well, he talks about other contemplatives here. Make sure that you know these two for the quiz on Friday. Macarius the Younger, he was the founder of so-called Eastern monasticism. That's East, that's Western Asian uh, monk orders, or that's what a monastic order is, a place where monks go to contemplate. Of course, the modern, the modern version of a monastery isn't a monastery, but do any of you know a place where people are paid to think and sit around in beautiful places, often with very beautiful libraries, very expensive places to go these days. You're all expected to go to these places at some point. Colleges, universities, right? Universities are where we supposedly keep our contemplatives, though. If you see some of the stuff coming out from them, you might want to shed a tear. In any case, Romualdus degli Onesti himself founded the monastery of Camaldoli. And so we have the founders of monastic orders. We have true believers slash thinkers here. I, very interesting that somebody would give over his or her life to just thinking about divine concepts. Very mu much like a physicist who today studies the origin of the universe, for example. Why is it that actual energy outstripped dark energy? How is it that the Big Bang happened? Very similar questions to what we've always been asking. Where did we come from and where are we going? And why? The biggest question. Why? What is the purpose of everything? Why, why, why? Contemplatives favor monasteries because they are removed from the care of the world. 
like modern day universities. They are removed from the cares of the world so they can understand the whys and the wherefores of the world. Very, very interesting. All right, the question from Dante to Benedict, I'm gonna try and get through this so we're starting to run low on time and there's not much for you to write here except for one thing. I pray you, Father, I pray you. Very interesting that his prayer is a question. To satisfy me as to whether I am to obtain so much grace as to see your likeness without concealment. He says, will I ever be able to see you clearly? Because you're just sort of like a bobbing light that I can't really decipher right now. And you're talking to me. And a lot of the things that I've been seeing up here I don't really understand, like the justice of the divine, or where this ladder of contemplation leads to, or the idea behind predestination and free will. Can I at least see you at some point? Well, the response from Benedict to Dante is, brother, it's as if he is the father abbot of a monastery, and Dante is a monk underneath his care. Your exalted desire will be accomplished in the final sphere, where all, including mine, will be so. So apparently it will be when Dante gets to the Empyrean, sphere 10 of 10, when all becomes clear. It's when he gets to the end of his journey that he will understand the entirety of his journey. Sort of like when you get to the end of a book, you understand the entirety of the book. But while you're in the middle of it, you know not where you're going, you know not who you are. This, there is perfection, brightness, wholeness for every wish. For there and there alone, every part is where it always was. So apparently everything is there, past, present, and future, the answers to all things. Ooh, ooh. sort of reminds me of the Song of the Sirens in the Odyssey, except for a positive version of it. Because it is not in space, nor has it poles, it is not physical, sort of like the laws of the universe, and our ladder stretches into it so that it disappears from your sight. Hmm. Hmm. The Empyrean, therefore, the mind of the divine, so-called, exists outside of space and time. So the answer is, yes, you will be, be able to understand me, but not at this precise moment. Only after this moment will you understand it. Sort of like the idea in purgatory that you have to go through your day and then reflect on your day. Do you understand the things you are doing while you are doing them or after you have done them? Generally, after you have done them. Uh, it does tend to be the case that you don't cry for the people you've lost before you've lost them, but only after you have lost them. As if you only understand the importance of somebody or something after it's already what? Gone. Exactly so. Because then that space leaves you space to think about them. Very interesting. Missing things. Very odd. So Benedict continues to highlight the thievery, usury, usury, excuse me, and corruption of the current Benedictine order. Institutions on earth have become very very corrupt. We've heard that about the Catholic Church. We've heard that about Florence. We've heard that about the Benedictines. We've heard that about several other monastic orders. And now we got to go.